We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What up, what up, what up? Welcome into another edition of Green with Envy. As always, this is your boy Will. We are checking in. How you doing? How you living? Joining me today on what is a brisk morning out here in Austin, Texas. We got the three-man weave and first up, my best friend, co-host, and the coach of our podcast. And my beanie brother this morning, the one and only Greg Manakis. How you doing, man? Brown may have gotten away with a push-off and Adebayo gets it from behind. That's how I'm doing, bro. Shout out to Derek White. Oh, my God. Those blocks on Jimmy Butler. I've watched that play and all the plays Derek White made in the Heat game at least 20 times each. Yeah, my uh, my guess for the rest of the show is that that will be a recurring theme that you'll be hearing <laughs> and seeing, depending if you're watching us on YouTube. Uh, many more highlights of Derek White putting the blocks on Jimmy Butler. Definitely something else that we're going to have on this podcast. And then, of course, to round out the three-man weave, we have our podcasting cousin from across the pond, the leader of the Taylor gang, the one and only. It's Adam Taylor. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm not Derek White, Chase Down Block good, but... um. <laughs> Rob Williams mid-range jump shot for Portland, good. Like yeah. I'm all right, man. I'm all right. It's a little shit here too, so you know, I'm I'm chilly just like you. Uh, but nor- dude, normally you're the one in the beanie. Yeah, dude. I just could not be bothered to find one. Do you know what? I, got, I should have something. I, if we were all doing hats, there you go. I got a hat now. We're all there good. It is. It's not a beanie, but. <laughs> we, they had the beanie babies back in the day i guess we'd be the beanie bros i mean if i wanted a beanie i'd have to leave the room and go to my other hat supply um, <laughs> i don't think so, it's that quite that important for our uh for our wardrobe here but yeah the, the, the three what would be should the beanie bros the three weave beanies three beanie i don't know i don't know i don't know if either one of those is great but it was something we have to we'll have to I guarantee there's gonna be a comment now saying the beanie weenies <laughs> like it's just gonna happen oh man okay that's the name that. we want to avoid for sure that is definitely the name that we want to avoid but, yeah uh it's exciting to hang out with you guys here today it's an early morning recording for for greg and i late afternoon early evening for for you i believe adam something like early that. afternoon early afternoon recording for you uh but how was your guys' weekend? Let's just start there. Adam, how was your weekend, man? Yeah, I've been grinding, dude. So I was sick earlier this month. Uh, I work on like um, bon- like bonus structures. So if you get X amount of stuff done, you earn X amount in that. So I've just been chasing like my normal monthly salary. Always. So like yesterday, I did 20 articles. Um, I started how them, at 9 how, how them fingers feeling, man, with all that type? Dude, I got carpal tunnel, dude. I started I at 9 a.m. I, mean, I, I finished do. at 11 p.m. And then it's like, that's today as well. And then I'll be good, dude. Then I'll be good. You know, I went to watch some wrestling on Friday. Uh, sent you guys one clip. That was Yeah, dope. I enjoyed that clip. What what was that they stuck in our guy? We'll, we'll, we'll tweet this clip out, or at least Adam will. What did they put in my guy's head right there? I was trying, what, what, the, what the hell was happening in that clip? So that was barbecue skewers. You know what you use when you make like a shish kebab? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, okay, that's kind of what I thought it was, but I wasn't 100% <laughs> positive. Yeah, so it was like um, a fist full of barbecue skewers, and then he DDT'd the skewers further into his head, which was funny. 
Uh, now nah, it was dope, man. It was dope. There was a few big time wrestlers there. Got to meet one of my favorites, and then you know the event was like four hours long. It was almost a fire, so they had to That's evacuate half like half of us out. And then once they figured like one of the speakers blew and it was smoking and all this shit, so they're like, "Yeah, everyone got a dip." Uh, so we dip, and then they're like, "Okay, it's all fixed now. You can come back." And I'm like, "Okay, but I'm going to sit a bit further away from where the speaker was. So if it does blow, <laughs> it's not me that's getting done." That was oh, it, man. Really. That sounds like a good weekend, though. That sounds good. How about you, Greg? How was your weekend, man? It's been a, uh, I've been Halloween weekend out here, and I've seen you, uh, seen you on the gram hopping around. Two days in a row. Uh, I can't do two days in a row, man. And uh, our buddy Basam, shout out Basam. His bachelor party was here in Austin, so a bunch of um, dudes from my high school, from my football team, were in town, and I was trying to coordinate a way to meet up with them. We ended up not meeting up. Uh, but I was out Friday at a house party. Saturday, it was my buddy Dave's, uh, who's in Black Sheep Optimus. He's our producer. It's his birthday on Saturday. So shout out Dave. Shout out Dave. House party before. Then we went out for Danielle's friend um, Brooke. Just got engaged. Shout out Brooke. So it was just a whole weekend of shenanigans. Yesterday, I was I couldn't move, dude. It was couch or toilet all day for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I was doing all day. Just doing shuttle runs. Oh, shuttle runs, couch or toilet. And uh, it, was, it was pretty rough. But one thing, you know, Adam went to the wrestling event on Saturday or fri- Friday. Friday. I lost all track I think of that. Friday. Friday. But, today, Monday. Yeah, today's Monday. Yeah, today's Monday. Friday. So I was, uh, I caught some of the Tyson Fury versus Francis Ngannou uh, crossover boxing match on Saturday, which was like everyone thought it was just going to be, you know, Tyson Fury smokes him. He's the best heavyweight in the last 10 years and whatnot. And Ngannou, who's the former UFC champion and left UFC, comes in and knocks down Tyson Fury in the, in the third round. And by all accounts, won the fight. Tyson Fury ended up getting a split decision. But it was really cool. All the, you know, the Jake Paul, Logan Paul, all that stuff. Like, yeah, those people are famous or whatnot, but the fights really aren't that entertaining. Like, Jake Paul has fought against some good fighters. Like, he knocked out Tyrone Woodley. That was a good fight. He fought Anderson Silva, who's like a UFC legend. But Tyson Fury against Ngannou felt like two guys at the peak of their powers going up against each other. And um, Ngannou is now going to be ranked in like the top 10 heavyweights. So well, he- I was going to say, isn't it usually when the, and, and this is from the guy who does not, who follows us the least on this podcast, but usually the guys that cross over from the MMA, UFC world into the boxing ring, the boxing ring seems to kind of be the, the middle ground, even though it obviously clearly leans to the guys that only do that particular sport, right. but it usually doesn't go very well for the guys making the crossover. So in that sense, this, this sounds pretty important that like he's like you said, he's going to make a jump up the ranking and that there's a case that he might have even won this fight against one of the few people that I even know from the boxing world. It's crazy. So most of the guys that come in are just coming in for the paycheck from UFC. Right. Like they leave UFC. They don't. The, UFC doesn't really pay their fighters well anyway, unless you're you're the uh, main event. So all these guys are just coming in to get a cash grab. Like Conor McGregor started it all with the the Mayweather fight back in the day, where he made something like fifty million dollars for that fight. Um, and McGreg- McGregor's now one of the like richest athletes in the world. So everyone's just trying to get their money, and they're not taking it seriously. You know, they're just coming in and they're like, you know what? I can fight. This guy's not like he's not a professional boxer. I can go in there and just like throw hands and survive and I'll be okay. And they don't really have like a boxing camp. They do their training, but they don't take it that seriously. Francis Ngannou, like he had Mike Tyson. He had Teddy Atlas. He had like all these boxing legends that were helping him get ready for this fight. And Tyson Fury, he was there like he scheduled a fight against uh, Usyk, who's like the other um, heavyweight boxing champion they're fighting in december to u- unite the belts so fury like a week before the fight with Nganu announced he had a real fight two months later <laughs> so he clearly wasn't taking it that seriously and Ngannou came in and Ngannou is huge he's like he has the hardest recorded punch on record and he he put that on fury's head and knocked him down did he, did he go to one of those arcade machines and and see how see how see how hard his punch I, was i don't know exactly those are the only official it, ones of record that i agree. yeah i don't know if it was like you know uh was it rocky four with uh with drago where they have him in in, in the <laughs> lab and he's they're actually testing the punches he's like clearly on steroids but it was a great fight um you know, Adam got to see some wrestling. I got to see some some boxing. Adam and I are big combat sports fans, so it was it was fun. I will say that if Fury fights that way against Usyk, Fury's fucked. 
Like, there's no two ways about it, dude. Like, and Garnu shouldn't have even been in that fight by the fourth, fifth round because he isn't he a wrestler by trade? He's more of a like he. Um, no, he's he's, he's more knockout. he's more of a striker. He's more, he more of a striker. He should be yeah. wrestling with that, but with that body, he should be more of a grappler, dude, man, because he'd just fucking rip people to pieces. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I, I I kind of fell out of love with the UFC a long time ago. I like watching one championship more now. Just because it's a little bit more um, fast paced than what the UFC has become, I think I feel like the UFC is a bit more slow now. Everybody's kind of like a lot more stalling on the ground. There's a lot like the wrestling that is there is more position rather than trying to mess someone up. You go watch one championship, watch people's jaws just hanging off the face after like the first fifteen <laughs> seconds. You're like, yeah, this is where I should be, but. Uh, I feel you like know? this is where I should not be. Is my first reaction. Yeah, no, I don't want to be there, but I want to. <laughs> like, I want to be there virtually through the screen. You know what I'm saying? I, like, if someone asked me to compete in the one championship, I'd laugh in their face. Like, no. <laughs> that well, I, I think I need to. I'm, I'm going to steer this conversation back to some basketball because I feel left out. I've, this has gone down a path now where I've, I've got to let Adam and Greg host their own show so that they can get get more in depth into this. Well, Adam it, and it, Greg in depth combat. At least we said some names that you recognize. Normally, n- normally I'm when I'm talking there. I'm about UFC, I could be making up the names and you wouldn't even know the difference. But yeah. this time, you knew you knew McGregor, you knew Mayweather, you knew Fury. Um, I don't know if you knew Usyk or Ngannou, but no, I mean I knew Fury had a fight versus a guy who I Ngannou, which I now know who it was. But yeah, so I was I was at least aware of what was happening. He's <laughs> a big guy. They're like, all two, they're all he's big. like six five, two seventy. He's fucking <laughs> he's a big guy, dude. I would not like to fight in Ghana. Using my uh, transition skills. Speaking of big guys, let's talk about the first week in the NBA. So last week, we kind of stumbled upon a a format that we really liked, and it's three things with the three man weave. And we get to go around. We get to go around here, and we each give three different things that we noticed, or we liked, or didn't like. Whatever we want to, whatever direction we want to take it from this week in the NBA. So let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're gonna go Greg, we're gonna go Adam, we're gonna go me, we're gonna snake draft this, and we're gonna go three things with the three man weep. Real quick, Will, one more thing. Brown may have gotten away with a push off, and Adebayo gets it from behind. And now we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. 
All right, three things with the three-man weave. Greg, you are up first. What do you got for us? Well, um, I'm going to go, since you were talking about big guys and you didn't actually reference a big guy, so I'll help that transition for you. Um, We're going to talk about Jason Tatum attempting to be a big guy by the amount of touches he's getting in the post. So first thing I want to do here, I'm just going to share my screen. Um, I would like to show you shot plots, Jason Tatum, first two games. So on the left, we have Tatum versus the Knicks. On the right, we have Tatum versus the Heat. And what is the first thing that stands out to you guys? Just looking at the, and for those of you that are uh, listening, go to YouTube, follow us on YouTube. You can watch along. I'm looking at a lot of X's and O's. It's yeah, like a lot a of green, screen. a lot of red. Uh, I, I will say on the on the second plot, there's a there's a lot of lot of red on that low post. Right. So early in the game, right against the Heat, they tried to establish Tatum on the left block. Most of his touches throughout the game were on the left block. That does seem like his preferred side of the court. Um, he he was great against the Knicks around the rim. Against the Heat, he was struggling. But what I really appreciated was that early on in that game, they went to him. They Tatum's first two attempts were in the paint off the left block. And then his first made basket against the heat was off that wide double pin down where he came off the screen, shot it in rhythm, which is another great thing to see Tatum shooting off the catch a little bit more. He did have that one where he dribbled the ball and airballed it. Uh, you know, he's just got to let that thing go. The, the, the three that he's never been more wide open for in his life. Right. But I, I love the idea that Jason Tatum is going to be starting games, it seems like, trying to get to the basket because that puts a lot of pressure on the defense. He can get to the line. Um, he's not foul baiting so far this year. He's really trying to finish through contact to mixed, you know, mixed results. He hasn't been great around the rim through two games. But I think the more that we go to him in the post to start games, it's really going to settle things down. It's going to settle him down. Ideally, this is going to prevent the games where he goes two for 17 or three. I think three for 17 is the magic number when Tatum struggles, right? So hopefully we can get Jason Tatum established in the post to start games. And um, I'm, I'm just liking what I'm seeing looking at these at these shot plots. The fact that it's mostly three-pointers and attempts near the rim. But it's not that he's only shooting threes and layups, right? The Daryl Morey wet dream. They're establishing him in the mid post and in the low post, right? And they're trying, like he could, if he wanted to shoot some mid range jump shots, it's just, it seems like he's trying to get to the basket um, using all the work that he's doing with Sam Cassell. So my, my first of the three things is that I, I like what I'm seeing out of Tatum, even though the results have been mixed. Yeah, and I mean, you got to give him the credit for driving the lane as well, right? Like like you say, it's not just the, mix, the mid post or the high post. He's attacking closeouts and not settling for like sidestep freeze. He's actually like, oh, you're closing out on me. I'm going to bully my way to the rim. We've seen some bully drives from him. He's, we've seen some nice rim finishing as well. He had that one reverse. I think it was against New York where he kind of went up and under on Mitchell Robinson as Robinson mm-hmm. rotated over. He's had others where he's kind of shrugged guys off and finished like with an extended arm. And then he had the one that I pointed out the other day. It was like a rip and run. Pulled down the rebound, went full Russell Westbrook, brought the ball up the court, saw the defense wasn't set, turned on the Jets, got straight down and finished around the rim too. So the paint touches in general and just the aggression that he's playing with are huge. I think that this is the difference that everybody's been asking to see from Tatum is like, we know you can hit freeze, but you're not the most consistent three-point shooter. What we need you to do is build build that rhythm in on the interior and then stretch out. And you can see like there's less free, less attempts from the perimeter and more green on the interior. And his points per game has been a little bit more consistent in terms of, you know, not so much field goal percentage, but just numbers on the board. And that's just as important when you take him trying to build an MVP case. Yeah, and, and it feels a little bit of a long game, right? The more that you're you're putting that pressure on the rim the more that you're probably going to get that space on the outside when you can get those open three-pointers which hopefully don't go the way they went with that that one shot that greg referenced but you know i I think what was the number that they said this offseason tatum put on eight pounds 10 pounds 12 pounds of muscle whatever it was it feels like he's definitely making it an emphasis early on in the season to to use that both on the boards and as well as just kind of getting in the lane and you know greg i think what you were talking about earlier about some of his 
uh, touches in the low post where he's not necessarily foul hunting, but he is initiating contact. He's going for the contact and he's going for rather than just hoping to get that foul call. And this is something I think you and I have talked about, you know, over the last couple of years is that the guys that tend to get rewarded are the ones that like Jimmy Butler are trying to score, they're trying to get contact, but they're trying to score. They're not just trying to bait. They're actually trying to, to make the basket as well, uh, rather than just try to, you know, whether it's trick the ref or, or flail away and try to create that, you know, that illusion of, of, of more contact than really there was. And he's just being physical. And I think, you know, him going to some quick moves in the low post, directly getting into his shots, some of the rip throughs that we've seen. Uh, I'm with both of you. I think it's extremely encouraging. And I think it, it kind of adds to uh, that shot variance that, that Joe Mazzula talked about, which I think we might get into here uh, with some of our other three things that we have going on. So with that, uh, Adam, let's, let's go over to you for your first three things. Um, I think for me, I'm going to start. Number one is going to be Paul Zingas, right? It's got to be. We've spoke about Tatum getting to the rim, doing more work in the mid post, but a big part of that's been having Paul Zingas on the perimeter. The versatility that he's bought, right? As a screener, he's running a lot of flip actions. So he set one, well, I call them flip actions, but a flip action is technically where you go from one side of the court to the other with a screen. So I should say he's flipping his screens more. He's like setting one screen, then flipping the screen angle. So you kind of getting the option which way to take a defender. And then he's sometimes he's rolling and he's giving you an entry pass option. Sometimes he's popping and he's giving you a legitimate three-point shot option. The floor spaced out like dramatically with him on the floor. Teams are still choosing to double, but they're doing it knowing that there's going to be a scramble if the ball gets passed. And that's kind of with everybody, right? Like you double onto Tatum and you double off of Brown while there's going to be a scramble. You double onto Tatum and you double off of Paul Zingas, there's going to be a scramble. It's just kind of a pick your poison. But I think Paul Zingas has been like a really big enabling force for Tatum in terms of being able to get downhill. Same with Brown, same with Derek White and Drew, to be honest. And then defensively, his rim protection and rim deterrence have both been really important parts for what the Celtics have been doing with him in drop. I also like the fact that he's not shying away from the physicality. I just think he's going to be a really good pickup. Uh, honestly, he's the one, one th first thing I like so far after the first two games is the fact that Paul Zingas is in the lineup. And yeah. we need to share that photograph of him at Disneyland. <laughs> uh, one of the notes that I have down here for something I was going to share, it's just a very simple line. Everything is I'm going to upload it here. KP has made life easy on both ends. And I really think the, the versatility on the offensive end, especially from his screening ability from him popping him rolling and the attention that that he grabs i know greg and i uh talked about this after the knicks during the knicks post game that i don't think in the last several years i've ever seen a time where tatum where where you know kp set a pick for tatum he rolled and both of the defenders went with chris Stapp's porzingis right they just left an mvp candidate in jason tatum alone like that just doesn't happen so you know what what KP is bringing on on both ends is, in one sense, it's incredibly thrilling. And on the other side, it's incredibly terrifying because I also, you know, we're all aware of the KP injury history. So that does leave me nervous anytime he may take flight or a couple times where he's tried to put the ball in the deck and go into the lane for a layup and it could get a little messy down below, get a little tangled with the feet. Uh, that's always going to make me kind of, you know, take a deep breath of caution. But uh, when he's out there, there, there's no doubt that that's been a massive difference for this team early on in these first couple of games. Yeah, when I mean, you look around the league and you see other stars, <laughs> JP, the new victory photo. We retired the Uncle Al grilling the opponents, uh, you know, uh, and we we want we voted. We said, "What's going to be the new victory pick this year?" And Adam came up with the Porzingis at Disney World, or is it Disneyland? I don't know which one it is, but uh, that's the new victory pick. But with uh, Porzingis. When you look around the league, you see Bradley Beal missing time. You see Devin Booker already missing games. Uh, Joel Embiid, there were rumors of him sitting out the home opener. He ended up playing and having Certainly a great game. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's great to see Porzingis healthy so far. Um, I hope the Celtics are able to get his minutes to you know 28 to 32 versus 32 to 38. So we hopefully we can kind of monitor those. Horford is going to need to have, um, you know, a, a really big year off the bench and is establishing himself as that six man. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think that's actually a, a good transition into my first thing that I want to talk about. And it's actually, you know, more of a question that, that I want to get your guys thoughts on than anything else. So for my first thing, 
and this would be certainly an o- fall into that overreaction of a, of a two-game sample size. We're recording this before the Wizards game on Monday night. Should we be worried about the second unit? I know we've talked a lot about the depth that this team has, and, and a lot of it is regular season depth, but we feel pretty confident getting to seven, eight guys. You know, that, that preseason P confidence hasn't necessarily transferred over to these first two games. Hauser hasn't shot the ball well yet. Luke only played in, in one game. Brissett. We could talk about that. Came in, at least had the energy, also had a few, you know, had a few turnovers mixed in there as well, but brought that energy to make a difference. But, you know, 20 points total in the two games from the bench, you know, eight of that from Al, who I'm not, who, you know, as we've seen on the broadcast, they love referencing the Celtics have six starters. So not even necessarily counting Al in the should we worry about the second unit, but more speaking about the Pritchard so far, Brissett, Hauser, Cornette, and those that we haven't seen. Is there just now getting a full look at what the rotation looks like, having some actual game tape, either of you concerned about the second unit right now? I wouldn't say I'm concerned. I think it's going to be a little bit of an experiment to see which guy is going to earn that role. How It's only two games, right? So super small sample size. Personally, I said this on the last podcast, I don't think Luke Cornett is long for the Celtics rotation. I don't think he's as um, effective as a basketball player as a Brissette can be just with his energy and athleticism as we saw. If he commits to just crashing the corner, crashing off the glass, like that's much more than Luke Cornett can do. Um, and then we have Lamar Stevens, who I think can do can do a lot of what Brissette can do as well. Um, I, I like that the bench right now does have pieces that we can throw out there against different types of teams, right? I think like, for example, last year we had Blake Griffin and in my opinion, Blake Griffin was 100% on the roster for an eventual matchup with Giannis Antetokounmpo, right? We didn't really have anybody um, designed to go up against the heat. Like there was nobody yeah. on the roster. Like this guy is going to be an X factor against the Miami heat. And we saw in the first game that Brissett was already an X factor against the heat with his ability to guard up a little bit and guard at a bio. He guarded Jimmy Butler. Well, a couple of times um, he out rebounded Jimmy Butler on a, on a free throw, you know, like Jimmy yeah. Butler, if there's one thing that I'm going to trust about Jimmy Butler, it's just, it's to do all the dirty work and to get those rebounds and traffic and Brissett out rebounded him at, at one point. So, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not concerned at all about the bench. I think that Pritchard, you know, he wanted a role so far. He's getting about 10 to 12 minutes per game, um, which is a role, but we need him to be better. I think we need Pritchard to be a little bit better. He had, he had a few drives in, in each of the games where it was, and, and I hate to say it was Jalen Brown-esque, but the the times where you get in the lane and you're like, oh shit, no, there's there's no room to do anything. Let me turn around and hope that there's someone for me to outlet this to behind me. And you're kind of trapped in no man's land. I've noticed that's happened to Peyton Pritchard a couple times in the first couple games. Right. And then with, with Hauser, um, he had that one big three-pointer off. I think it was off a of Brissett offensive rebound. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we need those guys. There was in the first game against the, against the Knicks, there was back, there was one possession where we got back to back threes from Hauser and Pritchard and they both, both missed him. Right. Like those guys being on the court, we need to have them be able to swing games. And I think so far off the bench, the only guy that's had like really impactful minutes outside of Horford has mm-hmm. been Brissett. So yeah. we, we need, we need somebody to um to step up each game off the bench because we do have uh, a bunch of guys that are capable but we don't know how consistent they're going to be and you know Adam I saw in your 10 things that you decided to eat um you know gladly eat some humble pie o- over Brissett. So what were your thoughts on Brissett? Yeah, I had no choice but to eat some humble pie. You, you kind of served it up for me and was sitting there looking at me like you're going to eat that motherfucker. I was like <laughs> um you know it wasn't really a choice it's, he, look, he played well. I think, you know, my issue's always been in terms of a skill set that he brings. Now, if that skill set's just hustle, then fine. I think there's a role for him on that team because they definitely needed that hustle against Miami. He came in and really changed the flow of the game, changed the whole outlook of how Boston were approaching that game in terms of physicality and just the way they fought for second-chance board points after he kind of had a couple of big offensive rebounds. If that's the role he's going to play, then fine. I'm all for it. You need somebody like that, that guy that's going to come in like an energizer bunny and just give you what you need. Um, Skill set wise, like, I'm not going to rely on him to score. I'm not really going to rely on him to be a lockdown point of attack defender. 
and there should be guys other than him that step up more frequently than he does. But look, against Miami, he was exactly what they needed. And I can't sit here and say he played trash when it's not true. Like he played yeah. really well. Um, it just wasn't from a skill based aspect. It was from a hustle based aspect, which is fine. The, and there's one thing that's his game. Yeah, well, with guys off the bench, right, against teams like Miami, um, we saw it in the Knicks game where they went Hauser hunting for, a, you know, a three-minute stretch to start the fourth quarter. I think Brissett is one of those guys that might be a better playoff rotation guy because you need that positional versatility where you can't go Brissett hunting, right? He He's, he's not going to be relied upon as a point-of-attack defender, but he's not going to be a weak link in that defense. And I think that's the issue with the, with the Pritchard, even though he fights on the defensive end and mm-hmm. he can guard in the post a little bit better than you might expect given his size. You know, teams will hunt Pritchard. Teams will hunt Hauser. You can't really do that with Brissett from what I've seen so far. You know, he he stood up against Adebayo. He stood up against Butler. And he he does have um, really good instincts moving his feet. So, you know, that, that's just something to keep an eye on moving forward. Yeah, I, w- I would say overall, just to to come back to, like, my original question, just should we be concerned? I, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm with both of you. I'm, I'm not worried yet. It is something I'm keeping probably a little bit more of an eye on here going forward as we start to get a larger sample size. And I think for me, the biggest thing is trying to see who Joe Missoula starts to, as he plays around with, what's the right mix, right? Of who from the first unit with the mix of whoever it is from the second unit and start to see what combinations are are going to work and balance each other out. Uh, we know last year, you know, obviously Jalen and Malcolm lineups were one that like never really quite meshed. So I think it's trying to figure out you know, who's with that second unit, who's getting the right touches, who's helping to optimize each other's skills, whether it's Brissett out there for energy, Hauser for shooting or whatever it might be. So I think it's worth keeping an eye on, but I'm with you guys. Not 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 quite worried uh, about that yet. So let's go. I'm going to do my second thing now. Then we'll go go back around the horn here. So going to my second thing, uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to steal party. They showed some poise through the fourth quarter struggles to hold on to the win. Long outlet for Butler. It's just, it's too good. It's, it's too good. And you know, there, there's so many, I mean, there's so many highlights, like even just beyond that one that I could show. Yeah. So my, my, my second, my second thing of my three things is Derek White is my new hero. He's my new Celtic hero. And so what I mean by this is I feel like with with every team, there's always a non-star player that you just kind of love a little bit more than the rest of the guys. And that, that's been Al Horford for me for the last last couple of years. Last year, Derek White started to started to rise up the ranks. This is a little like a like Deion Sanders ranking his kids, right? Like, let's just be honest. <laughs> like y- you have favorites. Like it's just how it goes. And Al's been holding down the number one spot. I've been reluctant to let go as much as I've, I've started. I always make the, the reference of going to my florist to go give Derek White his flowers. We made our first stop this weekend after Friday night, hit up the florist, said, send him everything. Send him everything you got. We'll be back next week. But Derek White is is now number one in my power rankings of, of non-star Celtics. He just does everything. And I, and I think it's so great watching the the Knicks game versus the Heat game where it felt like, they were two both very complete Derek White games in very different ways. Mm-hmm. In the Knicks game, he was more of a connector doing all the silent little things and ends up with, I think his stat line was basically something around of like six, five, and four, three assists, two steals, whatever it might be. Like it was, it was like all those little things that culminated, doesn't make any, doesn't rarely makes, you know, any bad decisions or mistakes. And then you have a night like Friday night where if you're just another team looking around, you're like, God damn, that's their fifth best player. Their fifth best player just went nuts and had that type of game to go ahead and take out the, you know, the defending Eastern Conference champions. And yeah, I know they're missing a couple guys, but you know, Derek White is is yeah, he's he's just everything you could want in a guy for this team. Fits perfectly, gives you what you need. So my second thing is Derek White, now officially number one on my non-star Celtic rankings. <laughs> yeah, that last clip you showed of D White coming in, to coming down in transition, left hand hang dribble. My literal favorite shot to do as as a basketball player myself is that exact shot that he did. Come up the left side of the court, sees a guy kind of backpedaling, expecting him to drive, hang dribble for a second, one hard step to your left, pull up three 
cash. The fact that Derek White is like starting to find his confidence on the offensive side of the ball. Sans Marcus Smart. We don't have Marcus Smart. Um, you know, taking those Marcus Smart shots that drove us crazy last year. Uh, Derek White stepping into that role. You know, I'm expecting him at some point this year to have a five, five, five. What is it like five, five by five game? Yeah, five least, by five, yeah, yep. five by five game. I think Derek White's going to have one of those this year. He's been unbelievable thus far. The blocks on Jimmy Butler. You know, it's great to see um, somebody on the Celtics now that Grant Williams is gone and we don't have Grant to go nose to nose with Jimmy Butler. Somebody standing up to Jimmy Butler. So the fact that Derek White was able to stuff him three times uh, in that game was was amazing. So yeah, I, I feel you on that, man. Derek White was unbelievable in the second game. And, and also, real quick, just his three-point shooting, right? Because I, I think at one point during our previews, when we were talking about what could be you know, one of the downfalls of the Celtics is like, are we positive Derek White shooting is going to hold up? Because last year yeah. was his, his career best. He's been more career 33, 34%, somewhere in that range. And last year was at 38%. And of course, small sample size. We'll see what happens as the season goes on. But very, very promising start for for Derek White here. That shooting uh, is going to hold up. And, and I think some of that goes back to our first thing we talked about, which is the KP spacing effect of just how everything right. else starts to open up uh, with the way that this team is set up. Um, with that, Adam, any thoughts on, I know you're having some uh, internet connection, connection issues, some connectivity issues over there. Uh, any, uh, any thoughts on Derek White before we go to Greg's second thing? Oh, no, it's, no, it's back well, to Adam. It's back to your, yeah, back to Adam. While, while we have Adam on while we here, have just, Adam. let's, go, yeah, to Adam's let's, let's go to Adam's second thing. All right, bald Derek White is the best Derek White. There's my take on Derek White. We'll that's keep it short. Part, it's part, part of the bald brotherhood alliance. The yeah. NBA, so, I mean, know, that's why we left him for you to select, man. That's why we, that's why he was your choice. Uh, for me, number two, a uh, little bit still Celtics related, but not directly. Uh, if anyone follows me on Twitter, you've seen me tweeting these out recently. A lot of people like them. Some people really don't understand why I'm doing it. Celtics balling out around the league, former Celtics. Marcus Smart's had a good start to his time with the Memphis Grizzlies. Robert Williams, as I alluded to earlier, shooting mid-range shots. He's, you know, he's, they're running him in like Bam Adebayo handoff actions type things. Portland are just throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks. Malcolm Brogdon statistically is having a good start to the season, but if you watch his play, I just think it's been quite selfish overall. So, you know, maybe... Yeah, but that was... That's great. Like, I just—it's the same reason I didn't like Dennis Schroeder. If you don't reward the, reward the role, man, Adam does not like you. Um, Grant Williams playing good positional basketball for Dallas. It hasn't been great, but he, you know he's had a double-digit scoring game. He's hit some threes. Aaron Neesmith signs a thirty-three million dollar extension and instantly goes on Instagram and pokes fun at the Celtics. I well, Adam, I was going to say you've been posting. You know what are the former Celtics up to? I know it's the guys that were on the team last year, but I want to see you start including Neesmith in there. Neesmith is the best one, man. I mean, he's put. <laughs> he's the only one that has a win so far. Well, well, I guess Grant has a win too, but no wins for, you, uh, dude, for Marcus Brown. Like, I tell you, Neesmith's really improved. Like, he wouldn't have got that if it had been. Like, Neesmith wouldn't be the player he was now if he'd stayed in Boston. Like, he needed 100%. the additional minutes he was going to get. Uh, he's, he's, he's improved his handle. He's added size. He's attacking the rim more. He's playing with more control. Did you see what he posted on his Instagram yesterday? Yeah, we saw that. The the SpongeBob yeah. clip or the SpongeBob meme after he got traded. Yeah, with the string and the paper clips. And he just got a little bit of old rope for uh, Malcolm Brogdon. No motherfucker. And Neesmith on the way to becoming... I don't know, an Indiana Pacers legend, maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Jokes aside, though, yeah, he's playing well. So, yeah, just, you know, the amount of former Danny Ainge draft picks, Boston Celtics, developmentees performing well around the league. Like, that's good to see, man. It's a, and it's a good indictment on the Celtics' developmental system, you know, and the type of players they produce that they're going around the league now and starting to at least hold their own, even if it's not showing up in the win column. Yeah, and to kind of continue off of that, my second thing, um, I, I want to get Rob out of Portland. Rob does not need to be in Portland. We only, we're only going to have so many great Rob Williams peak athleticism years. They can't be wasted in Portland on that team. I'm sorry. Some, somebody out there that is a contender needs to trade for Rob Williams. I know as long we as said this as, as long as they're not in the East. And I know I, I, I like my life. I don't want Greg to come, come kill me in the middle of the night. <laughs> I so know I threatened to murder you guys on the last podcast. If Robert Williams ended up on the heat, but I just think Rob needs to get out of Portland, man. I checked in on him a couple times and like, like to Adam's point, like he made the mid range jump shot. People were kind of losing their shit about that. Uh, but he, he, there's no reason for him to be in Portland. Portland can trade him for more draft 
capital. Um, there, you know, there are teams around the league that could use him 100%. So that's, that's my second thing is that we need to get Robin. I like, I like, I like the notion of him going to golden state. They need size. They need a little bit of explosiveness on the glass. Like they want skillful bigs. And I think Rob is what you would class as a skillful big. He can pass. He can initiate offense at the top above the break. He can be your trigger guy, you know, where you do kind of like, right, if you shut down point one, we're going to feed it to Rob and Rob's going to initiate action two or action three. He's added that jump shot to his game now, which I think could work well in short roll offense. I think him and Chris Paul off the bench would be deadly. The amount of lobs that would just come his way. Um, and part two and he'd give them a really big defensive boost alongside Draymond Green they do have Trace Jackson Davis there that could play at the four alongside Rob and really give them some physicality around the rim if there was one Western Conference team I think Rob would thrive on I genuinely believe it would be the Warriors I mean here's the scary thing I think about Rob moving is that who couldn't use Rob he makes 10 11 million dollars and if you're utilizing him in that 20 minute bench roll or you need him to play more you know barring health of course like he can do that you know but if you're but if you're paying 10 to 11 million dollars for a guy to play 20 25 minutes that can be as impactful as rob was as rob is and that's to a degree what we we thought the plan was going to be with the celtics going into this year up until drew holiday became available was that with porzingis and with horford it's oh man we're just going to have rob go nuts for 20 25 minutes a game where you know he's going to be able to roam around blocking shots dunking you know getting getting alley-oops at you know creating that vertical spacing so the scary part is almost any contending team can make the case for we need rob and the price and i think this is part of what you know portland's doing is just showcasing like hey look rob's playing 20 minutes a game he's healthy so when we ask you for you know two protected first round picks like that's what we want we, we we need you to give us that and so i think that's the biggest thing for portland right now is just holding out to see how many interested buyers they're going to get and i think as you you know as you start to see with memphis who starts out zero and three they lose stephen adams you know they're bringing in bismack biombo that's a team that i you know could see being like man once we get job back we don't want to waste this maybe we go get rob williams because jaron jackson needs some some protection he can't be he doesn't like being that you know that lone big on the court so I, there's gonna be a hell of a market for rob williams uh and for the point of my own safety, I'm a little worried just to see where he might end. <laughs> well, let, hey, we haven't taken our second break, right? Let's, say, let's, let's take our second break now, and then we'll we'll come back and, and finish up with our with our final three things. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, Greg, let's go. Uh, we got our last three things, or each of us got one more thing that we're going to point out here. Greg, you are up first. What you got for us? Uh, this is just kind of something I find funny throughout the year. Um, trying to share my screen here again. Why is this not working? There we go. Okay, so just at the beginning of the year, I always find it funny to look at the, the league leaders through a very small sample size. Uh, so <laughs> I have pulled up here, uh, for those of you watching on YouTube, just the league leaders, points per game, rebounds per game, all that stuff. Um, Luka Doncic, oh my God, 41 points per game so far. The Luka <laughs> MVP case, it looks great. But then second in the league 
is Cam Thomas of the Brooklyn Nets. Cam Thomas obviously had that crazy stretch last year where I think he had like three straight games of 40 points. So he yeah. can score the basketball. But, you know, to see Cam Thomas right next to Luka Doncic, like how many times in their career are you going to mention Luka Doncic and Cam Thomas in the same sentence? Probably not very many. So I, I think it's great just at the beginning of the year to check this stuff out. Um, looking around the league at these stats, is there anything else that kind of stands out to you guys? Yo, shout out to my guy, Jalen Duran. You know, I was big on Jalen Duran uh, during the season last year. Uh, while the Pistons were not very good, I was very big on Jalen Duran, who was 19 years old. It's just a fucking man-child has been dominating out here. I think I, I got to look up his full stats, but right now, leading the league in rebounds per game at 15.3, putting up impressive stat lines in all of the Pistons starts. So uh, I know that's something that's jumped out to me to see if, you know, in his second year, if he's already a guy that's kind of making, making a leap into that, you know, top. 10 range of, of centers around the league. Adam? I think the one that makes me laugh the most is former Celtic Mo Wagner being third in field goal percentage. <laughs> like, dude, you're not even the best. With a scorching 88.9. Dude, you're not even the best player in your family. You're <laughs> yeah. top three. Well, we like, got two two former uh, Celtic big men, Kelly O'Lennick at number five, and Mo Wagner at number three. Because he can, like, you know, I like Kelly O's game. Mo Wagner's like, Dude, it's all about Franz. Like, you need to really just stop scoring the ball so Franz's name can jump up. Other than that, former Celtic Max Struess, third in three points made. He's with Cleveland now, so we hate him because he went from Miami to Cleveland to Boston, two teams that Boston really should not like. Uh, other than that, Derek Lively balling out in his rookie year. And I think that's about the only thing. I like the fact that Rudy Gobert's below DeMontis Sabonis. He should be lower down because Rudy Gobert is a douche. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of a lot of former celtics on this list too even uh you know dennis schroeder number five in assists per game he looks good so far in toronto uh he looked great in in the world in the feeble world cup mm -hmm. he looked great with the lakers last year uh his defense on steph curry in the playoffs last year was kind of underrated so to see schroeder doing well scotty barnes uh year three bounce back i think is is great to see out of him he's played really well under their new coach i, I forget the new coach's name in toronto uh, I just know it's not Nick Nurse. And uh, Scotty was very happy to to be freed of of the Nick Nurse shackles um, so far here. In yeah, did you see three. him get – I think he was asked a question. I just saw the, the clip of it in a, in a post-game presser because they played the Sixers recently. Uh, and he was just, just basically tried to ignore any question that was asked to him about Nick Nurse. So clearly that relationship was not great last season. Yeah, and the the last thing I just want to point out, um, I, I happened to catch the the Clippers against the Spurs last night. We're recording this on Monday morning. Paul George, number four right now in steals per game. Paul George was the best player on the court. I am not a Paul George guy. I recognize his talent, but oh my God, the Clippers defense, like I know this, the Spurs aren't very good. They're not going to be great this year. They don't have a point guard. Uh, they're running Sohan, at, at, at Sochan, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Sohan. Uh, yeah, Sohan. Yeah, he, he's their like, de facto point guard right now. Paul George just came out. He had like five steals in the first half. He was a menace on the, on the defensive side of the ball. The Clippers, I think the, with like four minutes left in the first half, the, the Spurs had like 17 points. It was like insane how, how much the pressure defense, all starting with Paul George, was, was putting the shackles on them. Wembenyama really struggled against the physicality of the Clippers. Clippers look great. I mean, when you, that was always the, the idea, though, right? You were going to put Ivica Zubac, if I've said that name right, I always butcher it, along with Kawhi, along with PG, and those three together were going to be an elite defensive trio. That was all. And then you just, you know, you drop two guards in that can play a little bit of two-way basketball, and you had a championship starting five. Uh, that's how they're meant to be. Uh, I want to give Westbrook a shout out. The first few games, he's looking like for, like old school Westbrook, like pre Lakers Westbrook, like, like good decision Westbrook. I was telling Greg before, yeah. like, I've got to tune into some some more Clippers games. But even just looking at his stat line the other night, it was five of eight from the field. It was eleven points, eleven rebounds, eight assists, like two and turnovers. It yeah, was like yeah, it was two turnovers. Exactly. That was the other part of it too. And if you get that type of Westbrook with the the effort that he puts out there, and you combine that with Paul George, you combine that with a healthy Kawhi, Zubac, you know, Terrence Mann, like, you know, I, I get why you're not like 
you know, like, hey, we have to shake this all up and bring in James Harden. Like, if you get actually finally the culmination of what you've been picturing, like, and Russell Westbrook wasn't really, you know, a part of that, at least in this way that we're, you know, we saw at the end of last postseason when I thought he really started to turn a corner with the Clippers as far as who he is now in his career. And if he continues with that, like, that is a scary proposition to think about what that team could be. Yeah, I mean, he's just giving them what they want, well, more than what they wanted Reggie Jackson to give them when they were trying to rebuild Reggie Jackson. Mm -hmm. And they needed that type of lead guard because Kawhi and PG are so good at defending, attacking closeouts, hitting clutch buckets, but neither of them are really the guy you want initiating offense consistently for a game. You Obviously, you want the ball in their hands down the stretch in the clutch, but Westbrook just gives you that elite kind of quarterback you know that can really pressure the rim can make everything happen i like the clippers as a, like a as an underdog contender this year just because we've been waiting so long for it to happen it's their last season if i'm correct before they move to their own stadium you know if you the one, stadium with all the urinals more urinals than you could ever dream more of. urinals but they've also got the wall right the wall looks sick yeah. um but imagine like the the, the opening ceremony for your new stadium is also raising the first banner in the front. You know what I mean? Like th that there's a lot that's, and Kawhi's there, PG's there. There's a lot driving this. So I, I kind of like them as a dark horse contender in the West. Yeah, I like that. All right, Adam, let's go to uh, let's go to your final thing. My final thing, I'm going to go with Jalen Brown adapting to a new role. Now, first, I'm going to ask you a question. It doesn't really matter what the answer is because it doesn't change real life. Uh, is Jalen Brown still the number two guy on the Celtics? Greg, I'll let you go first because this is, this is one of the takes <laughs> you had in the, in the preseason. I'll let you go first on this one. Yeah, I mean, I think that with, yes, the to short answer, yes. I, th I think he is right now. Um, Porzingis... I think the fact that he's able to create so much offense and so many opportunities for the Celtics just by his sheer presence on the court, his ability to screen and screen and roll, screen and pop, all those things. I think Porzingis, if you take him off the court, I think the Celtics offense uh, geometrically is going to change significantly. If you take Jalen Brown off the court, I don't think it's going to change quite as much, right? So I think by the end of the year, this is my biggest take is that Porzingis is going to be widely considered the Celtics most important player. I don't know if we're going to call him the Celtics second best player, but the Celtics second most important player, I think is going to be Porzingis by the end of the year. But I was very proud of the way that Jalen, um, to your point, adapted to the new role. Uh, game two, big time bounce back from game one where he he really struggled finding finding his voice, quote unquote, mm -hmm. on the court. I think he was able to do that really well in game two. Yeah, I, I really agree with what you said, Greg. I was going to use a slightly different word. I was going to say for Porzingis might be the most impactful by the end of the season because I think just the way that we've talked about several times already, how we see that you know he changes the the dynamic of what the offense looks like. But I still think Jalen Brown is the second best player right now, and I think part of that is is just his ability to like in the NBA. You still got to be able to, especially when it gets into to playoff time at certain points, create your own shot. Right, you got to be able to be that dynamic score. And I think this team is going to need that at stretches. You know, especially when this is where I think back to my first thing I talked about trying to figure out what that balance is with that who's from the first unit is playing with that second unit because so I think that's going to be an area where hopefully we can get JB you know some heavy um, you know offensive moments as the number one option where he can really carry that second unit uh, mm -hmm. offensively but still be able to you know you know continue to grow in that role of, of being a playmaker of making the right decisions as we talked about a lot. Um, so I think he still is, but I do think this is going to be a very interesting hot button issue throughout the season for, for Celtics fans. Yeah. So I've tried to be very progressive about it. I'm looking at it as we've spent years having a one a and one B conversation about Jalen and Jason. I think Tatum's unequivocally established himself as one. A. I, I don't, I think if anybody else has got an argument, they're just doing it because they, have a personal it, it, it's a at bit point. at that point if you're making yeah it, like, you're just clearly not wanting to let go like accept reality but now i'm there with a 2a and 2b mm. right like i'm yeah. like yeah okay now it's some nights Jalen brown is going to be the number two option on the team because it the matchups are going to be more favorable to jb he's gonna his shots are going to be there he's going to be able to take advantage of his matchups he's going to be able to take advantage of rotations and other nights Maybe the, you're playing the Clippers and their wing defense is just ridiculous. And now 
Chris Dapp steps up as your 2A, and now he's your bona fide second option for that game, right? So I'm looking at it as the diverse, like the, not diversity, but just being able to have a diverse offense and have guys step up into bigger roles and step back into smaller roles. And what this leads me to is my third thing is how Jalen has been able to kind of navigate stepping into a bigger role and then stepping back out of it in the flow of a single game. Like mm-hmm. you saw it against Miami. There was points in the game where he kind of got featured heavily with the second unit and really thrived. And then he gets surrounded by Chris Dats, by Drew, by Derek, and Derek starts getting a hot hand. Mm-hmm. So now Derek steps up into like a 2B role. Chris Dats is having a good impact in terms of just getting touches on the ball and creating offense with his gravity, with his vision. Jalen took another step back. Then he was needed to dominate again, and he steps up. So it's just having that kind of like, I don't know, basketball emotional intelligence to understand when you need mm. to step up and step. I back. mean, this is this is part of what I've said about Jalen even before you know this 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 season is that I think he has one of the toughest roles in the NBA of knowing when it's my turn, when it's my time to take a back seat, and I think now it's an even more of a learning it's process. So you said right because you're throwing in. And throughout all of this, we've said 2A, 2B. We didn't even mention Drew Holiday, who I think Drew yeah. Holiday, you know, also in, in game two against the Heat, kind of found his role offensively a little bit more, right, as to when to pick his spots, when he was able to, you know, be handling the basketball. And 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 so that's the other piece of this as well, right? Because you're not – it's not just the 2A, 2B. It's really a 2A, 2B, 2C. Like, yeah. it's, that, that's that's how crazy – 2D. Throw D White in oh, there. not 2C. I, I, it, it's, it, it might as well be. It's pretty close. I just talked about Derek White being my – Hero, but I think if we put him in that category, Greg, <laughs> then I gotta then I gotta rearrange my whole non-star ranking. So I feel no, like that, that's to, fair. Uh, but it, just real quick, uh, one last thing on Jalen. You know, in that time in which you're not heavily featured on the offensive end, you still have to be able to be loud on the court, right? And Jalen Brown struggled in the first quarter against the Heat, and then he he started to make in, the, an impact on the boards. He was crashing the glass. He's bringing a lot of energy on the defensive end so far this year. Like he, he has lost focus like Jalen does a couple times, but overall the, you know, the full court pressure we saw out of Jalen, we saw out of Jalen last year against James Harden in, in the playoffs, like that level of intensity where he's taking it upon himself to make sure that he is one of the most uh, physical, most aggressive defenders throughout the game, I think is really standing out to me. And Jalen being loud without being featured, I think is going to be really important for him as well. Breaking news, breaking, like right now, breaking news. The Celtics will be without Quater for their game against the Washington Wizards tonight. Okay. <laughs> that is breaking news. It is breaking news. So no, 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 no looks at a uh, at big Nimi tonight against no the Washington Nimi. Wizards. You know, because no he's been such a vital part of the rotation in the first <laughs> hey, two games. Greg mentioned it earlier, though. If Luke's not going to be a part, they, I think they, I think he does need to get a look. You know, before or they, they just bring Rob back. I mean, hey, that, well, I don't know. I got to look at the rules on that, but yeah, if that's possible, that would be that would be delightful. That would be delightful. But let me go to my <laughs> last thing that I have here. And I'll keep it with the Celtics here before we wrap up. And so, you know, throughout the, the preseason, Joe Mazzulla, we talked about being pretty impressed with some of his interviews that he gave with J.J. Reddick, some of the stuff he said to the media. Like, all right, he's becoming less robotic by the day. So I'm having to, to rein in some of my, my robot jokes. And he talked a lot about, you know, winning in, in different ways rather than just being, you know, very, very um, rigid when it comes to the math equations of, of basketball. And so commonly last year, and even before that at times, the Celtics were just victims of, you know, the the new NBA of, all right, who won the three-point line? I can probably tell you who won the game. Well, in these first two games, the Celtics have shot 36% from the three-point line. Not terrible. Middle of the pack, like 13th or so in the in the league. Not bad. Their opponents have shot 46% in these first two games, and the Celtics are still 2-0. and So, once again, small sample size, but teams with hot shooting, and the Celtics are able to overcome that and get those victories. We look back at the Eastern Conference Finals last year, and you know one of the deciding factors was the Miami Heat role players just went nuts. All of them collectively went nuts at the same time. I remember specifically in our previews for that, we were saying, hey, as long as not three out of the four, but it's only one out of the four or two out of the four of these guys get hot, 
I think we'll be okay. I can't really find a way for the Heat to win. Well, everybody and Caleb Martin turned into an all-star, you know, got hot at the same time in those conference finals. So I, I think when you look at the Celtics finding a way to win, not just at the three-point line, but we've talked about low post touches for Jason Tatum. We've talked about Porzingis being aggressive and getting to the line. You know, Drew Holiday, Derek White. We've looked at the block shots, the transition points, getting out, getting those easy buckets. Adam, you talked about Tatum getting the rebound, pushing the tempo like he's Russell Westbrook. Like these are all things that I think are, you know, creating a, a different variability for the Celtics. So small sample, but the Celtics being able to win without shooting the ball their best and having teams shoot above their weight class, I think is an extremely positive sign just early on in the season for this team. Yeah. And the, you brought up, you know, basketball is math. That's something that Missoula talked a little bit with JJ Redick about. And, you know, basketball is a game. I've, I've said this multiple times. Basketball is not a math equation. And the fact that the Celtics were lost the math equation and won the game is more evidence for Joe to realize that it's not just math, right? You you can still win basketball games and get it out the mud like Jalen Brown did in, in, in the game against the Heat. That, like There are ways that you can still win basketball games. The corner crash, right, that we're seeing a lot so far this year. It seems to be oh, a big, that energy factor. Right. It seems to be a big emphasis that you can, right? So for, for so many years, teams have wanted to get back on defense, form a wall, prevent transition points and whatnot. That's been a big staple of teams around the NBA and Celtics basketball, right? A lot of times Celtics want to set up their their half-court defense so we don't necessarily crash the glass. But there's no reason why someone off a corner crash can't crash, use their instincts, see if the ball's going to bounce sort of towards their way. And if it's not, you just sprint your ass back on defense. Like it's very, You're still very capable of getting back on defense with hustle. And that's like, you know... To, to your point, Will, the the amount of transition baskets that the Celtics are, are getting or transition opportunities, um, even if they don't end up taking a shot quickly, they're pushing the ball. Even in crunch time, that was one thing that I was really excited about in the last four minutes, last four minutes, five minutes of that game. They didn't just walk the ball off the court, which drove us fucking insane over the last three years is how often they would walk the ball off the court. And then there's 12 seconds left on the shot clock and we end up getting one action and, and a shot, right? Like that happened so many times last year. That one play, I forget which series it was when Missoula didn't call a timeout and we had like 14 seconds to get a shot off. We didn't get a shot off. Um, like all that stuff happened last year. A lot of things are changing this year in Missoula ball year two. So super excited about it as well. I like the fact that they're scoring more inside. Now, jokes aside, when you mentioned the math equation, I always, and like, as a film guy, like somebody that does most of my research by watching rather than looking at numbers, I've never really been big on analytics in terms of, if you want to talk to me about someone's LeBron rating or anything, I, I really couldn't give a shit. Honestly, to be honest, I'm not the borps like, and the schmorps. Yeah, like, exactly. I tend to listen to a lot of, like, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts, but I listen to a lot of podcasts where coaches are on there, right? And I, I tend to stick with the stats that coaches look at. So defensive field goal percentage is the way I judge a defensive play. Do you know what I mean? Or So I'll stick with them. And then I always stick with the KD explanation of no one wants to look at a fucking graph when having a hoops conversation. You know what I'm saying? So when, when Joe's like, well, if you look at the math with the freeze and the analyst, no, no, dude, no. You're the only coach I've ever heard speak like that. Do you know what I mean? Like even Steve Kerr that presided over this warrior shooting 2.6 billion frees in the last eight years doesn't view the game that way. Like, and I think that him being around guys that played in the league now, like, like the Sam Cassell, the Phil Pressy, that uh, um, are just hoopers, hoopers and mm -hmm. having somebody in his ear, like, no, look, it, it might make sense on paper, but we, the, the way you implement it doesn't make sense in reality. Yeah. But I think that's been a big factor in what we're seeing on the court right now. And, I think that long term, it's going to make Joe a better coach too, because he's, as you said, he's learning now that just because it makes sense doesn't mean it's going to work out. Joe, uh, Joe Missoula 2.0 so far, enjoying the upgrade Big that we've gotten uh, this season from that. Uh, before we wrap up here, because we're, we're just about an hour here. So uh, real quick, we'll go Greg Adam, myself. One thing you're looking for in the Celtics-Wizards game coming up tonight, for those of you listening here uh, on the audio version or if you're watching us on YouTube pregame. That the Celtics don't have a letdown because they're going, going up against the Wizards, right? We should blow the Wizards out. Last year, we're talking about like compare-contrast over the, the 
um, this year's Celtics versus previous iterations of the Celtics. This is a game the Celtics would play down to the competition. So I want to see the Celtics come out and just blow, you know, blow them out by 40 points. I think this is our first chance of watching Paul Zingas play against a little bit of adversity, going back to his old team. Like, I know we saw him played against New York, and I know they were shouting to fuck Paul Zingas, but he's been back there. It was there. fantastic, by the way. It was. He embraced it. He loved it. I loved it. That's what sport, that's that's good sports hate, by the way, just in case yeah, you all are wondering. Like, like, that's fun as hell. But he's been back to the Garden multiple times with multiple different teams. This will be the first time going back to Washington's, wherever they play. Um, you know, since leaving and going there with a team where this is a trap game. So I want to see Paul Zingas, how he handles the lack of expectation, you know what I mean? And and how he navigates that. If he comes away with four points, two blocks and six fouls, then I want to have some concerns for later in the season. If he comes away with 50, 10, seven and three and a technical for like hanging on the ring while still rubbing his toes on the, on the court. (laughs) Well, I I think, you know, to your point, Adam, another thing to consider and kind of just like um, finishing what I was saying earlier is just like, you know, this is a trap game that as you, as you described it, this is the first time this Celtics team, not on national TV. Right. So we'll see. Because I'm assuming, right? I don't think a Celtics Wizards game is going to be on it's national not. TV. It's, I can <laughs> confirm it's, it's not. I, on I didn't TV. check, but I was pretty yeah. confident. So to see how Jason Tatum plays, knowing that it's just a game in Washington, right? Tatum yeah. in the past, this is a game he would kind of check out on. There are no cameras on this game, so let's just let's just see how the Celtics play. If we can, hopefully, uh, maybe maybe this is the game that we get some Delano Banton minutes. Maybe this is the game. That we, uh, I don't know, is JD Davison available for this game? Like maybe we see JD Davison in this game at some point. So um, hopefully the Celtics blow blow the doors off off the building. Yeah. Can I ask the last? Oh, go ahead, Adam. How did you guys watch these games before League Pass if they weren't nationally televised? I know you were in Boston, but usually there's a blackout, right? No, no, no. If you're if you're in Boston, you just have like local cable and you just watch it that way. But what if you weren't in Boston? What if you were in Texas? It's not uh, blacked out because. Yeah, and it's yeah. not nationally televised. Well, oh, but you, 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 you think you think before league pass, like I mean, when right, we moved right, to right. Texas, we got league pass immediately because that was our only. Yeah, no. So you, I mean, you have a cable login. You know, like your brother will have a login. Like my brother has a login, <laughs> and I log in in my brother's cable account. And so I, that's how you would have got around it. You would have yeah. had to have known someone in the area. Exactly. And, Correct. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, right, it, it was. Uh, it was not fun. It was not fun. My last thing, real quick, and then we'll wrap here. Uh, I want to see Jordan Poole in handcuffs, locked in jail by Drew Holiday and Derek White. Uh, that's what I'm looking forward to seeing tonight. But guys, this was fun. It's uh, Monday morning. It's Monday afternoon for Adam. Uh, I always enjoy getting together here with the three-man weave, an exciting week of basketball coming up here. So we will be checking back in. If you're looking for immediate post-game coverage of the Celtics and Wizards game, Myself and Greg will hop on here. We'll be on our YouTube page. Make sure you're locked in and subscribed. Uh, we'll give you a couple of our thoughts right after the game. Greg, any final thoughts? And then, as always, let us know what we're going to hear on the way out. Uh, final thought. Let's see. Brown may have gotten away with a push-off, and Adebayo gets it from behind. Here comes Butler the other way. Nice. And White blocked it. Black Sheep Optimus, get this high. Peace, everybody. Peace, y'all. Till I hit the floor Every time I get this high It's you I find It don't take much no more Until I'm at your door You cut me to my core, baby what can I say? You got me on the floor, you know I came to play. I know I shouldn't, but you seem to take my pain away. And every time I score, Jason Tatum fade away. I close my eyes and I'm floating your